Dr. Donald Barnhouse. He said Hebrews is a book written to Hebrews, warning them to stop acting like Hebrews. Again, you had a group of Jewish people that they had been saved. They've received Jesus Christ as their Lord. They're walking in this new salvation, in this new relationship with Christ. But now they're hitting some rough terrain. They have friends, family members, maybe business partners that they're dealing with. And they have been receiving friction, right? They've been receiving, maybe their, their business has taken a turn for the worse because now they don't believe in the same religion as most of the people in Israel did. Perhaps family members have disowned them. And now these Christians, they're sad. They're down. And now there's a lot of exhortation here from the author. We don't know who. We know it's the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is strengthening this body of believers. Telling them, hey, don't worry. Jesus is the absolute best. There's nothing better than Jesus. Press on towards Jesus. Grow with Jesus. Mature in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't go back to your old religion. Don't go back to your old systems. Go with Jesus. We got to grow with him. So we've looked at it, right? Jesus, he's better than angels. Jesus, he's better than Moses. Jesus is better than the old priesthood. Jesus, he's better than everything and anything. And then there's been a few exhortations sprinkled throughout the chapters, right? We had that exhortation to hold on, to hold fast to the Lord, right? If not, we will drift away. We had that exhortation at the close of last week, and it continues through this chapter 6, that we need to mature as Christians. A Christian shouldn't be the same age every year that they have been saved. I believe it was last month I had my spiritual birthday. And for me to be reminded of how I've grown with the Lord since the day that I remember crying there at 67th Avenue in an empty sanctuary and saying, Lord, my life is yours. And the second part of that for me was, Lord, I want to make Satan's life as difficult as possible for the people here in the church. That was my call to ministry. That was my call to salvation. Do you have that date? Do you have that spiritual birth date that you can have a point in a map, right? I think within this last season, we've seen more graphs since middle school and elementary, right? We see all these line graphs everywhere. Is there a point on the map where you can say, hey, this was the day I got saved at a couple's retreat, at a special service, at a camp, at a doulos. And now as time progresses, there has been slow but steady growth. Or for some of us, just exponential growth from the beginning. And then there's been slow incremental growth since then. Or for many of us, right, sad to say a lot of people within Christianity, that their graph, in a sense, right, would look like a roller coaster. It would look like an earthquake is happening and they got saved, huge spiritual high. Then they went back to school and it drops to the floor and just this up and down and up and down. And that is not what Christ has for us. That's not God's desire for us. Sprinkled all throughout scripture, we see the need that we need to trust in Christ, trust in his word. We need to have faith and then there's a need for endurance. There's a need, a reminder, hey, this isn't a short sprint. This isn't one day. This isn't one week. This isn't one month. But this is a lifestyle change, right? How many of us are we still sticking to our New Year's resolutions, right? Have we burnt out already? Then it wasn't a lifestyle change. But with our walk with the Lord, hey, we can just pick up where we are at right now. We can ask Christ to pick us up and continue and move forward. So let's read, again, for right context, which is always important in Scripture. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 5, and we will read verse 12 through 14, and then continue on through verse 1. He tells us, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food 
For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Verse 1, therefore, which means because of this or in light of this or in view of this, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Now laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. So again, there is a huge warning for us. And worship was so special. Worship was so amazing that we should have a desire to grow and mature in the Lord. Again, family, the things that we hold important, the things that we hold dear, we don't want to be mediocre in them, right? No one, when they first hold that baby in their hand, says, I just want to be a mediocre dad, right? I just can't wait to be a mediocre mom. I don't want to be terrible, but I don't really want to be that amazing. I just want to be mediocre, right? When you're there and you're under the hoopah, right? Or maybe you have something special when you're about to get married, right? And you're there and you're about to marry one another and you just say, hey, I just want to be mediocre as a husband, right? The bride would be saying, what? You want a mediocre marriage? Right? When you go to a fancy restaurant, honey, what are you in the mood for? I just want some mediocre food at an expensive price. Right? Nobody ever says that. No one ever wants that. What kind of a car do you dream about? What kind of an athlete do you want to be? What kind of a person do you desire to be? It's never mediocre. But the danger for us in our relationship and walk with God is that we are simply okay with mediocre. Because, because mediocre is easy. Mediocre, simple. Mediocre, as we talked about drifting in chapter 2, you just do nothing and you're, you're mediocre, right? How do you drift away in the ocean? You just pick up your feet, you pick up your hands, and you let time and ocean and nature take you wherever it feels like, right? During this season, we've been on and off teaching my son how to ride his bike. And lately, I've been telling him, you need to control the bike. Don't let the bike control you, right? And he just drifts off. He drifts off to the side, drifts off to the side. Son, there's a whole two-way street. Just ride the middle. And he just drifts off. Boom, hits a car, right? It's a scary thing, but no scratches, right? No dents so far. But we need to be careful that we're not drifting away. And for this body of believers, the time that they had been saved, they should have been teachers by now. Again, family, how long have you been saved? How many years? One year? Five years? Ten years? How long have you been saved? I can think of Ken Graves. I can think of many other pastors that they began being a senior pastor at 18 years of age. How long have you been saved? How long have you been walking with the Lord? You should be a teacher by now, but you need someone to teach you the principles all over again because now you need milk and not solid food. Why? Because you're not exercising what you have been taught. You're not exercising what you've been taught. So now what happens when you eat like crazy and you don't exercise? You get fat, right? If you're drinking milkshakes all day long and drinking bubble tea all day long and you don't exercise... You could think, hey, I'm losing a ton of weight. I'm, I'm losing a ton of weight. I'm taking a bunch of meal supplements. But you don't realize each of those puppies has 500 calories, 1,000 calories. Right? I have a meal replacement. I'm just getting a venti frappuccino at Starbucks, right? No big deal. No. It's 2,000 calories right there, right? And we can be on milk and think that we're maturing, think that we're growing, but we're just fat and lazy. So, again, how do we not be fat and lazy? How do we mature in our walk with the Lord? It's through knowing God's word and it's through exercising it. Knowing God's word, eating meat, right? We start off as babies drinking milk, but then we need to eat meat. And then after that, we begin to exercise. We begin to grow in a healthy manner. So then he tells them, therefore, right, in seeing that, hey, it's not okay that you are still babies, let us move on and move forward from the ABCs and one, two, threes of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to leave the elementary principles, right? Some of you have your sons and daughters in school. 
What kind of a horror would it be, parents, if you listen into your kid's math lesson and your kid's in middle school or high school and you hear the teacher saying, okay, two plus two equals, and your son that has a mustache already says four, right? That'd be terrible. That'd be horrible. What kind of a math class is this? We need to grow from these elementary things. It's not okay. It's not okay. David Guzik, he says, the writer knew that nothing was gained by treating them as immature. He continued with his instructions and warnings. And family, this is a reminder how we should treat one another. Now, if someone just gets saved, again, you have to treat them like a newborn baby. And there's a lot of care there. There's a lot of protection. They can't even hold up their own head, right? You got to prop up their head. You got to put the right pillow. You got to hold them upright so they don't move. And sometimes they just roll over, poof, and they fall over. You got to be very careful with newborn Christians. But after a year, two years, five years, ten years of being saved, don't treat them as, as immature. There is nothing to gain by treating A Christian as immature. There is nothing to gain by that. We need to tell them the truth, give them truthful instruction and truthful warnings. So now he tells them, hey, let us go on to perfection. And again, this word doesn't mean, hey, now let us become perfect or let us be perfect. God forbid, let us be sinlessly perfect, right? That's not till we get to heaven. What the author here is saying is, hey, we need to move on to maturity, We need to move on to being of that full age, of that mature age where we can be eating meat once again. Where we are exercising the elementary principles and even greater principles, exercising these things. So now we have discernment in the things of the Lord. Again, family, how do we mature? How do we become a full age? Eating solid food and exercising those spiritual senses, right? That's what we saw there at the end of chapter 5. Eating solid food and then who by reason of use have their senses exercised. We need both. There's many believers that they know the word like crazy and crazy and crazy. They know tons of the word, but they don't exercise it. And because they don't exercise the word, they become Pharisees. They become hypocrites. And they almost become a black eye to what? Christianity is really about because they don't exercise what they've been taught or what they know. And now, again, be reminded the foundation is good. The foundation is important. We need to know those ABCs and one, two, threes, right? We need to know that the foundation here in our homes, the foundation in our houses, the foundation at the church, we need to make sure, hey, that foundation is strong. But what a terrible GC, right? What a terrible general contractor if after one month, two month, five month, five years, you say, man, what's going on with my house? What's taking so long? And they say, hey, we're working on the foundation. Like, man, I know the foundation needs to be strong, but not six months, ten years of just focusing on the foundation. We need to move on to the other parts of this house. And again, that's what the author here is exhorting and encouraging this group of believers to do. Hey, you need to mature. You need to grow. And family, the same is true for us. In this last season, how have you matured in your walk with the Lord? Where's the graph? What are you doing now that you weren't doing then? What are the sins that you've cut off now that you hadn't cut off then? How are you growing and maturing with the Lord? It's important for us, family. It's important for us to look in the mirror of God's word and say, Lord, show me where I am wrong. Show me where I'm off. And then exercise it. Exercise those things. So again, verse 1, he says, Leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And this is a good foundation. This is a very important foundation. Repentance and faith in God, really it's the foundation of our walk and relationship with God. In Isaiah chapter 64, we should turn the very important scripture and reminder for us. Because we need to have a balanced approach as we read and study the word of God. Isaiah chapter 64, and we are going to look at verse Six. Again, I hope you have your Bible. I hope you have your pen and your notebook ready that you've been prayed up. Maybe you even read ahead 
through the scripture that we're going through. And in Isaiah 64, verse 6, it tells us, But we are all like unclean things, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind, and have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us, you have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter, and all we are, the work of your hand. Again, our best, our absolute best righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. And that's what Isaiah is saying here. Hey, your absolute best righteousness, the absolute best righteousness that you have to offer, your absolute best works, hey, it's nothing but dirty rags. It's nothing but dirty and used toilet paper. Our goodness, our works can never get us to heaven. Never, ever. That's a foundational aspect of Christianity, of our relationship with God, is that, Lord, I have nothing to offer. What's the second part of that is faith in God. Faith in Christ that, Jesus, you are my righteousness. As I accept you, as I follow you, as I abide in you, you are my righteousness. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm good. I've sinned a lot this week, right? Just because I seek the Lord and read my Bible doesn't mean that I'm perfect. We need to accept these truths. Just because I go to church and somebody else doesn't, doesn't make me better than them. Just because I don't struggle with a sin that somebody else is struggling with doesn't make me more, right, more better. It doesn't make me better than them or more holy than them. Our best righteousness is but dung. It's but garbage. All my righteousness needs to come from God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the elementary principles of Christianity And if we continue to look at the end of verse 1 and verse 2, what we're seeing here is these are commonalities, common ground between Christianity and Judaism. In verse 2, it tells us of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Maybe you've gone through the foundation of faith classes. We touched on some of these topics, but this isn't all the topics of our foundations of faith classes. Why? Because what the author is pointing out here is that there's nothing distinctively Christian in verse 2. Many of the things here in verse 2 can be attached to both Judaism and Christianity. And he's warning this group of people that had been sad, they had been down, they had been persecuted. Hey, stop just pretending that you two are the same, right? And the New American Standard Bible, also the ESV, it doesn't say baptisms. It says instruction about washings. And baptisms and ceremonial washing was a very common practice in Judaism as well as other religions, right? When we go to Israel, if we get to go to Israel again, if you've been there before, you see those ceremonial baths and they're all over Israel, Right? It's two baths. There's one staircase and they go down into the bath. Everybody that's dirty, they go down into the same bath. And then everybody comes out of another staircase, out of another bath to make sure that they're clean. As they were writing scripture, right? Again, I wish we'd have such a holy reverence towards God and towards our Bibles. Every time before they sat down to begin to write scripture, they would have to cleanse themselves, clean themselves, go down the bath and put on a new garment, get a quill, and then they would start to write. But now if they would come to the name of God, of Yahweh, they'd have to stop where they're at, go down, take a bath, come back up, get a new quill, write Yahweh, right, omitting the vows, write Yahweh, put the pen down, get back, go through the ceremonial wash, down the stairs, up the stairs, and get a new quill and keep going. These ceremonial washes, right, this baptism, when John the Baptist began baptizing people, people weren't just blown away and freaking out that he was baptizing people. People were freaking out and being blown away because he was preaching the true gospel. People would get baptized to convert to Judaism, right? All throughout the book of Acts, you see a group of of Grecians, a group of Greek people getting saved that were formerly Jewish. Not because they were born Jewish, but they adopted Judaism as their religion, 
as their walk with the Lord, relationship with God. And we know, hey, Jesus is the only way we can really have that relationship and walk with God. So the author is here warning them, hey, don't just stay on the common ground of their belief system with those within Judaism. And family, if we're honest, there is always that temptation to blend in, right? Always that temptation. Just blend in, just be religious, and just focus on what makes us just like other people. We will always have that temptation, right? You meet a new family member, you meet a new friend, a new coworker, and hey, you believe in God? I believe in God too. My God, he's out in the ocean, right? I just drift away and the ocean just overtakes me, right? And you say, oh, wow, that's amazing. I believe in God too. And you just leave it there. All you're doing is blending in, right? Oh, you read the Bible. I read the Bible too. That's amazing. I read this. I read that. You believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus too. I'm a Mormon. We're the same. And sometimes we're tempted to just blend in, right? No, we need to be bold that there are certain truths that make us different from Mormons. That make us different from Jehovah's Witnesses. We need to be bold that these things, they are false gospels. We need to be bold. We need to be truthful. We need to be real. We need to be careful that we're not just wanting to blend in and not cause waves. And that's what these people were tempted to do. Oh, you believe in doing good for other people? Hey, I believe in doing good for other people too. Doing good to others, that's what gives me meaning. It doesn't really give me meaning. Jesus gives me meaning, but I don't want to step on any toes, so I'm just going to stay quiet. We have that same temptation, family. We need to be bold. We need to be bold. If we're really honest, there's a temptation within us that when we are with other Christians who are really bold, we're tempted to sort of tell them, hey, dumb it down a bit, right? We're in the McDonald's drive-thru and someone says, hey, can I pray for you? And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here, man? I just wanted a Big Mac. What are you doing here? We need to be careful that we're not dumbing ourselves down and that we're not dumbing down our other brothers and sisters who are being bold. We need to be bold, especially today in moments where there's swarms of locusts going around our planet and eating everything in sight in a time where everybody during the Passover has to be retreated, right, and in their own homes in a time where you have multi-billionaires trying to create, if you would, a mark, a new tattoo, how you pay things, how they follow us. Family, we need to be bold. Verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. Family, this is not saying, hey, if God wants you to be mature, he's going to help you be mature, but he may not want you to be mature. Maybe God just wants you to be a baby all your Christian walk. No, that's not how we take this. That's not how we read this. What this is saying is that our maturing with the Lord is tied to our dependence on God. That I can't mature with the Lord in and of myself, in my own strength. Again, why? Because our best righteousness is but filthy rags. Humility is such an important aspect of our faith. Having humility, being reminded, Lord, I am nothing. You saved me, you died for me, and Lord, I am nothing. In our service to God, it's important to remember that. I am constantly reminded of that, hey, Zach, you are nothing. If I were to die, if I were to pass away, hey, the church would just keep on going. God doesn't need me here. I am nothing special. I'm a servant just like you, just like all of us. A bunch of doulos, right? Slaves for our master's use. That's all we are. So again, my maturing, it's dependent on the Lord. It's tied to my dependence with God. And again, if you say, hey, I want to mature, and the next day you pass away, you didn't get a chance to mature in your walk with the Lord. There needs to be fruit attached to that. Now we come to this next set of verses. And these verses are some of the most difficult verses to go through in the entire Bible. It seems like there's many portions of Scripture where pastors, we tell ourselves this, right? Because we're freaking out. Because we want to be able to teach the truth of God. As a pastor, I'll be honest with you. I'm not too afraid of what the people think on my good days, right? On my bad days, hey, I'm, I'm careful about that. But days when I'm going through Scriptures like this, hey, I don't care what this person thinks. I don't care what this person thinks. God, what do you think? Lord, at the end of this teaching, God, I just want you to be happy. At the end of so many teachings, I'm just quiet and I'm saying, Lord, did I do good? 
Lord, did I do right by you? Because at the end of the day, hey, that all, that's all that matters as we read and teach God's word. But this portion of scripture in chapter 6, along with Hebrews 10, we see some of the gravest warnings in the entire New Testament. And really in the entire Bible. And Bible scholars have long agreed and disagreed over its true meaning. Right? What does it really mean? What do these words really mean? Does it mean this? Does it mean that? You can listen to 10 teachings, which is basically what I did this week. You can listen to 10 teachings, right? And you get three different ideas of what this portion of Scripture means. Ten amazing pastors, ten biblical pastors, ten pastors that teach the Bible expositionally, right? Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, not adding their own meanings, but saying, hey, God, what do you mean by this? Because we believe God's word says what it means and means what it says. And you'll get different opinions with it. And I'm going to tell you, hey, I'm not here to argue with what you believe. I'm just here to tell you what the Lord has shown me this week, studying and chewing on the scripture. And I'll be honest with you, I've taught this scripture before in the past, and I think I thought something different. And I, I believe this is a portion of scripture that every time you teach it, there should be a wrestling with God. And maybe your idea, your perspective on the scripture is going to grow and mature over time. Grow and mature over the things you've seen, over the things God has revealed to you. Grown and revealed over the people that you're speaking to. God's word, it should mature, it should grow us, right? It's alive. It's a two-edged sword. And family, we need to be sure that as we read God's word, our primary allegiance is to Jesus and to the word of God. We can be careful because whether we like it or not, we add certain lenses to the things we see and read and believe. Whether it's because of what our parents have taught us, whether it's because the first time you heard that portion of scripture, you heard it taught a certain way. Whether it's because you really like this one pastor and he's a this or he's a that. Or you really like Calvin, so you're a Calvinist or you're an Armenianist. And now you read the entire Bible with that lens. Family, we need to be careful that as we read and study God's word, my allegiance is not to any man. It's not to any theological system. It's not to any theological bent. I want to read God's word. And the blessing we have as Christians is that the author of the book wants to speak to you as you read it. As you wrestle with God's word, the author of the book wants to reveal to you what he meant and what he said and how it applies in your life today. Charles Spurgeon, he says, we come to this passage ourselves with the intention to read it with the simplicity of a child. And whatever we find therein to state it, and if we may not seem to agree with something that we have hitherto held, something that we once held, we are prepared to cast away every doctrine of our own rather than one passage of Scripture. Family, we have to be so quick to right, break that allegiance with a certain pastor or a certain individual that says certain things and say, Lord, my allegiance is to you. My allegiance is to the Word of God. I'm reminded of Pastor Ritt. Maybe some of you guys remember him, right? And he says, hey, no one has it all together, but together we have it all, right? No one man is perfect. No one pastor has all his doctrine completely perfect, myself included. But we can try our best to say, Lord, I want to be attached to you. Lord, I want to be right with you. Charles Spurgeon, continuing on the scripture, he said, We have better far be inconsistent with ourselves than with the inspired word. I have been called an Armenian Calvinist or Calvinistic Armenian, and I am quite content so long as I can keep close to my Bible. Again, family, be careful. Be careful when you ascribe to certain beliefs and you just say, hey, this, this in the Bible, man, it's like 1A and 1B. Be careful with that. All these men of the past, myself, right, Chuck Smith, not Pastor Raz. Pastor Raz is perfect, right? No, even Pastor Raz, we're all sinners. We all come short of Christ. We all come short of perfection. Finally on this, how do we react when God disagrees with our theology? How do we react? Do we just get mad? Do I say, oh man, this is what I believe. So I have to figure out how this verse agrees with what I believe. Family, that's, that's wrong. That's not right. And every time we read the word, every time we go through scripture, just be ready. Say, Lord, reveal something to me new, God. 
And maybe you need to reveal to me an old truth that I've forgotten. And as we get older, we think we learn new things. But, hey, I just forgot this, right? I forgot that I knew about this. Or maybe the Lord's revealing, hey, that first time you heard that teaching, that pastor wasn't all there, right? It wasn't his best of days. And now the Lord is doing something. Or finally, maybe the Lord's showing you, hey, your pastor, he's just a human being like you. And our ideas sometimes, they change. Our thought process sometimes change. The things we're super passionate about, sometimes they change. So I'm going to be honest with you guys. Maybe in a few years, I'm going to believe something different on the scripture. Hopefully, you're gracious enough with me to continue. And to pastors that don't believe the same things here, hey, I love them. I care for them. Some of my closest friends, they believe differently. Hey, that's cool. That's all right, right? We're not talking about Jesus being the only way to salvation. That is a non-negotiable, right? That's a non-negotiable. There's certain non-negotiables in the Bible. So let's read for proper context, as I've read and as I've studied, verse 4 all the way through verse 9. So it tells us, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So again, we're going to go into this heavy, heavy duty warning. But keep in mind verse 9, that even the author of Hebrews, as he's writing this to them, he thought, he was confident of better things than this group of Christians, than this group of believers. So now we go back to verse 4. For it is impossible. What does that word impossible mean? Impossible, right? That's what that word means. Every time you go through scripture, that word impossible, that's what it means. It's not possible. It can't happen, right? It's impossible for God to lie. That's the truth. That's the truth. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's the truth. There's no way around it. There's no way to... Convince yourself of otherwise. So now he says, it's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew again to repentance. And now you read verse 4 and 5, and I'll be honest with you, if this was put in any other scripture or if we would take away verse 6, There'd be no problem saying this is a bona fide believer. This is a Christian. If someone has been enlightened, they've been taken out of darkness, and now light has been revealed to them, right? The light of Christ. They've tasted of the heavenly gift, tasted of Jesus. He's the heavenly gift, right? We think of Romans. We think of John 3, 16, right? What's the gift from heaven? It's Jesus. It's salvation. If they've tasted of this, now they've become partakers of the Holy Spirit, a partaker, you're obeying, you're one with him, you're knitted with him, and now you've tasted the word of God, you've eaten the word of God, you've tasted it, it's grown you, you've worked in it. There's no doubt that there's a Christian being spoken of here. But now because of the warning, some people, they throw it away, they say, eh, he was half-baked, right? He was half-baked, he wasn't really a Christian, he was kind of halfway there. He was on his way to being a Christian, he just tasted, but he spit out what he had tasted, right? The Holy Spirit kind of worked on him, but then he denied it halfway through. That's not what we see here from verse 4 and 5. What we see here is that there's a true Christian being spoken of, right? Someone who has tasted and seen how good the Lord is, how good the gospel is, how good the good news of Jesus Christ dying for our sins, how good that is. Now the question for us is really verse 6. The other The other thought out there that to me is just craziness is that the author of Hebrews is just bringing in something to just think about, right? Hypothetically, 
This isn't you guys, but hypothetically, this could happen. Which, if you're in a court of law and you're giving hardcore facts after hardcore facts after hardcore facts, what in the world are you doing talking about hypothetically here? This could happen, right? Who are the only people that talk about hypothetically when sportscasters are talking about sports or right? comic book people are talking about comic books, right? What if you would get Darth Vader and Spider-Man? Who would win, right? That's the only time you start talking about hypothetically, right? When things don't matter, when things don't, aren't important. So the warning, the concern to us is verse 6. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. The New King James Version, it messes up here in its words, right, in its structure here of verse 6. It's not if they fall away. They messed up in the translation here. It's not if they fall away. It's saying having fallen away. The New American Standard ESV, they say, and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and have put him to an open shame. The author is not saying if, but past tense. Hey, they've already fallen away. So now it's what they, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Shame. So what are we talking about here, right? Zach, what are you saying here, right? Maybe some of you are twitching in your chairs, right? You're chewing through your pencil. Zach, what are you saying here? It's not what am I saying. But again, us reading this in the simplicity of God's word, what is this saying to us? Family, there's a great, great warning to us. Just like this body of Christians, this body of believers, there's a warning for us that if we don't continue in maturity, that if instead of continuing in maturity, we fall away, that our salvation, it's gone. Our relationship with God, it's gone and it's done. Now, they don't lose it. It doesn't say if they've lost it, if they've misplaced it, if they forgot about it. We got to be careful here. It doesn't even say if they fall. It says if they fall away. And in the New Testament, in the Greek, that's the only time. This is the only time that we see this word in the New Testament, in the Greek, this fall away. Because this is a heavy-duty thing. This isn't like in Proverbs that it tells us, hey, if a righteous man fall down seven times, hey, man, he's going to get back up. God is going to strengthen him. This isn't talking about David after he sinned with Bathsheba having sex with another man's wife. After having premeditated murder and he murders him and then he covers it up and then he comes and he repents before God. That's not what it's talking about here. This is talking about someone who says Jesus is no longer the only way into heaven. This is someone who is in unrepentant sin and they want nothing to do with the Lord until the day they die. And now we can go crazy over this. No, Zach, what you're really saying, no, what this is really saying is they were never safe to begin with. They were never safe to begin with, so they thought they had taken these things, but they really didn't. So then that's what happened. They were never really safe to begin with. Family, we got to be honest when we read God's word. Who wrote this amazing book that we have that has withstood the test of time, that has stood the, the test of, right, we think of Hitler, we think of communism, we think of so many individuals that their goal in life was to destroy this book. It's God and God himself. So now we're talking about a being. We're talking about a creature who is outside of time, space, and matter. A creature who we can't conceive what he is thinking and who he is. Can you sit there for just a minute and think that in heaven... We're never going to get bored with heaven. We're going to be in the same place for all of eternity. And we will never get bored of it. Can you really fathom that? Right? You go on vacation. You go to St. Thomas. You go to Hawaii. And hey, man, a week is awesome. But you're there two weeks. You're there three weeks. You're there four weeks. You're there five weeks. Right? You're there ten years. And you're doing the same exact thing every single day. Hey, man, this is repetitive. This is boring. Right? At the end of every vacation, the end of every trip. Man, I want to go home. How can we never get bored in heaven? How is heaven going to be new and new things revealed to us every single day? Family, can you explain to me the Trinity? Hey, I'm a pastor here. I've been, I've been ordained here by Calvary Chapel, Miami. I still don't fully understand the Trinity. 
Right? One God, three beings, okay, I get it. Ice, water, vapor, yeah, yeah. But how does this make sense, right? I was explaining it to Levi the other day, and I'm like, yeah, I don't fully understand this, right? One being, three parts, three people. Family, can you explain to me how Mary had a baby without a man? Can you explain to me the virgin birth? Can you please explain that to me? Because I don't understand it. Again, I feel for Joseph. I feel for Joseph when Mary comes to him. They haven't had sex yet. And Mary says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And it's God's baby, right? I feel for Joseph there, man. Because I don't think I would believe it either. And time after time in Scripture, there are things that we just can't understand. We just can't explain it. And we should be okay with that. We should be okay with that. Because we serve a God that loves us. And there's no way to explain that. There's not a single way to explain why a perfect creator, a perfect being, a perfect son would be willing to die for me, willing to die for you. There's no way to explain that. So now when we come to portions of scripture like this, we need to just say, okay, Lord, this is what you're saying. And again, this is the importance of taking the whole word of God, reading the entire instruction manual, reading from verse 1. In Genesis, all the way to the end of Revelation. Why? Because 99.9% of the New Testament, what does God talk about? Our salvation, it is secure. Our salvation is secure with Christ. So now when we come to the handful, two handfuls, three handfuls of Scripture, where they say the other side of that spectrum, are we just going to throw it out? I don't want to do that, family. So as a pastor, what would you have me to tell you? Hey, your salvation is eternally secure, even if you live like hell, but maybe you weren't really saved, but maybe you were saved. I don't want that on me as a pastor. I would rather warn you that if right now you are walking away from God, if right now you're saying that Jesus is not the only way to heaven, I want to warn you that tomorrow is not guaranteed. And if you don't get right with God, if you don't mature with God, your salvation, you may not be saved. Or perhaps you left it. There's a word in the Bible, apostate. In the Bible, right, in God's word, people who have left the faith. People argue they were never saved to begin with. Maybe God outside of time, space, and matter, that's the way he sees it. But that's way above my pay grade. I'm sorry. That's way above what I can understand. And now there's a danger for us that we can give ourselves a false hope. Right? At funerals, if we're honest, sometimes we're at funerals and there's false hopes being given. Someone has lived, right? Like hell their whole entire life. And then what do we say in the funerals? Oh, they're in a better place now. No, that's not what God's word says. If they didn't have a relationship with God, if they didn't abide with Jesus, if there was no fruit in their life, I love you with all my heart. I'm sorry, but they are not in a better place. And now there's going to be a time of mourning, a time of hurting. But the warning there is, hey, you can still be in a better place. You can still go to heaven when this is all said and done. And again, two camps. You can say they weren't safe to begin with. They were, hey, that's on you. But I would rather take the more careful warning. The more careful warning. And as we're in any day that Jesus is coming back, I would rather warn people, hey, get right with Jesus. Get right with Jesus. What are you eating? What is your appetite, right? What does a cow eat? A cow eats grass. That's what a cow eats. What do wolves eat? Wolves eat sheep. Wolves eat animals. And depending on what you're feeding upon, maybe that's revealing to you who you truly are. That you may think you're saved, then you're not. You got to be careful there, right? Apostate is not that all of a sudden God just picks a day and says, hey, that's it. You can never come back to me. That's not the case, right? All throughout the New Testament, we see the word return more often than you see the word turn. All throughout the New Testament, God says, hey, return to me. Come back to me. Hey, church, you're messed up. Hey, church, you're messed up. Hey, church, you're sleeping with your mother-in-laws. You're messed up. Hey, return to me. Come back to me. Our God is a God of forgiveness, of grace, of restoration. Right? That's one of my prayers during the season that the prodigals, they'd be watching this. That their hearts would be burning. That they'd be saying, Jesus is coming back in any day, in any moment. So I need to move on to maturity. I need to seek forgiveness. I need to seek repentance. And I need to grow my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be after, family. 
So now should we be trembling? Should we be afraid? Oh my goodness, anytime I mess up, I'm going to, God is going to disown me, right? Save, not save, save, not save. No, family, that's not what it's about. We have the prodigal son. He wasted all his inheritance. He paid for sex. He paid for liquor. He did all the terrible things. And then when he finally realizes it and is walking home, who runs to come and meet him? His dad. He was part of the family. He was part of the household of God, but he walked away. But he came back. Again, so if somebody comes back, no, they're not an apostate. But if somebody dies, disowning God, talking bad about him, right? There's certain individuals, people that were once worship leaders, people who were once authors of Christian books, they seem bona fide saved. They seem like they had the Holy Spirit. Oh, they weren't saved to begin with. Okay, man, maybe you're a greater judge than I am. I can't see into people's hearts. I can't see into people's motives. Jesus, he warns the Pharisees. If you just look at their actions, they are incredible men. They are incredible men. How much they would be in church, how much they'd be about God's word, how much they would tithe, how much they would hold on to the law. They were incredible men, but they did not have a relationship or walk with the Lord. So this is a warning for us. And family, I don't want to take out the teeth of God's warnings. I don't want to be that pastor. I'd rather be that pastor that gives you the balance of God's word. And I'm not ascribed to any man. I want to be ascribed to God. Hey, God, what do you have to say in this portion of scripture? So again, there's a warning to us. Hey, not if you fall, if you fall away, right? And then in verse 6, right, it says that they are crucifying again for themselves the Son of God, and they put him to an open shame. That when you have pastors, worship leaders, authors who were once walking in the Lord, doing godly things, bearing godly fruit, or maybe it wasn't really godly fruit. Again, I don't know that. Only God knows that from his throne room in heaven. And now they walk away from the faith. They turn their back on the faith. They talk bad about the faith. They talk bad about Christ. They say, that was a bunch of hoopla. That was a bunch of lies. You can go to heaven any way, any shape, any form. They're bringing shame to the cross. They are causing people to mock God. That's what it's saying here in verse 6. And now if that person dies in that state, again, that's where they're at, apostate. They have left their first love. They have walked away from their salvation. So can you lose your salvation? No, it's not like a set of keys that you can lose or misplace. Can someone say, hey, I no longer want to fellowship and be a part of the family of God? I believe, hey, it doesn't really matter. I believe in universalism. I believe any way into heaven. I believe God in many things. Hey, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. They don't follow him. They don't prescribe to him. They're going against contrary things. What happens if they repent? Then they repent and they get right with the Lord and hopefully they bear good fruit, right? And now there's a warning to us here, right? We continue verse 7. For the earth which drinks the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Again, what is the fruit of your life? And family, there's been a lot of damage caused to people just ascribing to once saved, always saved. Why? Because then the question comes, how do you know if you're really saved or not? The fruit that that person give, was it true or was it not true? Was it hypocritical? Was it right? And then you got to bring out a ruler, a measuring tape, and a system to prescribe, hey, was it real fruit or not fruit? The warning to us, Christ's warning to us is, hey, abide with me. Just abide with me. Stick with me. Hang out with me. Love me. Obey my word. Hey, you're my disciples. That's how you're my disciple, right? It's the work of Christ in, it, in us. Is the work of Jesus regenerating our heart, our soul, our spirit, and our mind. But there has to be fruit. There has to be fruit. And again, verse 9, the author here, he was confident that they had better things in store for them. That this really wasn't the state that they were in. But he's warning them, hey, if you turn away from Christianity and you go back to thinking the way to get right with God is through animal sacrifice and through keeping the feast and through keeping the law, you're not going to go to heaven. That was the warning to them. That's the warning to us. If we walk away from the Lord and now we prescribe to something else, a completely different religion, and we live in that and we proclaim that till the day we die, why do you deserve to go to heaven? Why? 
Right? Why do you deserve to go to heaven if the rest of your life you've turned away and you've become an enemy of the gospel? And then someone will say they weren't saved to begin with. Okay, man, I don't know that. That's not exactly what God's word says here. There's warnings for us, right? John 6, verse 66, right? Scary verse, John 6, 66, right? From that time, many of his disciples, disciples, went back and walked with him no more. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. This is a warning to us in, in later times, right? Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. First Timothy 4 verse 10, if you continue in that chapter, Paul says, For Demas, he has forsaken me, having loved this present world. There's warnings for us, family. In Jude chapter 1, only one chapter in Jude, in Jude chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. It always looks weird to me to write a book without the chapter. So that's why I always say chapter 1. So Jude chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have creeped in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Family, I don't want to take the teeth out of the warnings of God. Should we be anxious? No, you should be anxious for nothing, right? Don't be anxious. Don't, man, am I saved? Am I not saved? If you're considering that, God wants to bring you in, right? God, hey, come on here for a hug, right? If my kid is freaking out, hey, are you really my dad? Or do you really love me? Do not, do you love me? Do not. Hey, come here, man. I love you. I care for you. But now if a kid completely disowns me, doesn't love me anymore, wants no part to be with me, does things contrary to me, against me, completely goes off on his own in the complete opposite way till the day he dies, does he have fellowship with me? Does he deserve to be on the will? Does he deserve to be on the inheritance? That's what we have to ask ourselves, family. Again, that, this is a grave warning to these Hebrew believers. Were they there right now? No, they weren't there right now. But the warning to them is, hey, if you go back now to your old religion and you live in that till the day you die, there's no repentance there, man. There is no repentance. There's no getting right with God in that religion that you're in. I love Sandy Adams. He's just a good old boy, right? He's very plain and simple. He says, hey, if you give your tickets away to the game, is there any way you can get in the game? There is if there's still tickets available, right? And the thing with the Lord is you don't buy your salvation, but there's still room in heaven for you. There's still room in heaven for you, right? There's not a no vacancy sign in heaven. There's still room in heaven for you. If you were prodigal, if you swore your allegiance to another faith, if you ran completely opposite to God, if you, like David, murdered and stealed and killed and hid it all, God still wants to bring you into his fold. God still wants you to bring you home. So no matter what you believe here, what's the prescription? Get right with God. What's the prescription? Abide with God. Were they not saved? Were they saved? Hey, that's on you and the Lord. The Lord is the one who's going to judge that. But no, I need to know for my family, hey, preach the gospel to them. Share the gospel to them. Me in my life, there's a long time that I thought that I was saved, and then I got saved. And I said, whoa, I thought I was saved. I guess I wasn't saved. Zach, if you would have died, would you have gone to heaven? Would you have gone to hell? Hey, man, I don't know. That's, again, that's above my pay grade. That's between the Lord and the Lord. That's it, right? Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Again, he gives them this great warning and he says, hey, I don't think this is where you're at. Be careful. And now verse 10, hey, God, he's not unjust. He's not going to forget all the work and all the labor of love that you have shown towards his name and that you've ministered to the saints and that you are ministering to the saints. God sees your fruit. God sees the fruit of your life. He's not going to forget those things. Again, 99.9 .9 of the scripture, it's his grace, it's his mercy, it's his love. But there's righteousness, there's holiness, there's law attached to all of this. Verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. 
that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, we need to have diligence, family. This isn't a sprint. We need to have diligence till the day we die in our walk with God. Right? Now, if we get lazy in our faith, now does God disown us? Does God say, hey, you're not saved anymore? No, man. Again, that's a big word there. That's a heavy-duty word. Fall away. Right? Heavy-duty word. We need to have diligence. Full assurance of hope until the end that we what? That we don't become sluggish. Don't be lazy in your relationship with the Lord. And again, once saved, always saved, it has created a lot of lazy Christians. Or maybe they're not Christians, but they're still lazy. They're not trying to mature. They're saying, hey, I was in Christian school. I stood up in spiritual emphasis week, so I'm saved. That's it. I don't got to grow anymore. I don't got to do anything else. We got to be careful with that. A resurrection service 10 years ago, I lifted my hand. Hey, that doesn't mean that you're saved, man. You need to have that assurance. You need to have that hope to the end, that diligence. Hey, Lord, I love you. I want to seek you. I want to follow you. Not just fire insurance, right, but a love for Jesus. Faith and patience to inherit the promises. That's what we need. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, God swore by himself, saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, right? We need endurance. We need patience. We need faith. We need all three, family. Some of us, we have endurance, right? We can be lazy with God for a super long time and then we'll have faith later on. Some of us, we have a ton of faith, but there's no endurance, right? And then you have that roller coaster Christian, right? Some of us, I've been there, you, you come from camp, and you're just like, I want to serve God for forever. I just want to live here in Headwaters. I'm going to serve here in Headwaters for forever, right? And you have a ton of faith, but there's maybe not so much endurance, right? We need both. We need all of it. And again, look at the examples God's used. It's not perfect men. It's not men that never fell, that never messed up. When we go to Hebrews 11, what are they? A bunch of jacked up people, right? A bunch of people that messed up time and time again, but they had faith to say, Lord, Man, would you forgive me? Lord, would you love me? Lord, would you, Lord, would you restore me? Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute, right? Their word means nothing, so they have to swear by something greater. Their word means nothing, so in a court of law, they, they used to, right? Put their hand on the Bible. But God, verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hopes set before us. Again, refuge, what is he talking about here? The city of refuge. In the Old Testament... Revenge was just a, a name of the game, right? It was all about revenge, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And now someone killed someone within your family, the closest of kin, they had the right to execute revenge on whoever killed their family member. Unless the person would flee to the city of refuge. And unless they would stay in that city of refuge. The moment they get out of that city of refuge, the guy's open game again. But if he stays in the city of refuge... He's protected. He's taken care of. Christ is our city of refuge. God is our refuge, right? So we need to abide with him, hang out with him, stick with him. Verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So again, the author here, he says, hey, let's leave those elementary things. Be careful if you're only staying in the elementary things or if you go down and backwards from the elementary things. And let's press on towards the high priest. Let's press on to Jesus who's so amazing, so incredible, to think of what Jesus is doing for us right now. Sometimes all we remember is he died on the cross, he resurrected. Hey, that's super important, but he's doing more for us. Right now he's praying for you. Right now he's praying for me that I don't jack up this teaching, right? Right now he's praying for me that I stay steadfast and right with him. 
Jesus, he's still working. He's not just lazy up there sitting on the throne waiting for his time to come down. No, he's praying on our behalf. He's interceding on our behalf. And we have him as our anchor. What holds us in this salvation? It's all Jesus, guys. It's not our works. It's not our works that bring salvation. We're not going to get to heaven and say, hey, I deserve to be here because I've done X, Y, and Z. No, it's all because of Christ. 